Our two granddaughters uh, celebrated birthdays in uh, November and December. And in between of that, we had, as you did, a, a Thanksgiving bash up in Wheeling. And then uh, all through the Christmas season, and uh, they came down, and we got together and had a, just a wonderful Christmas. And then they left uh, a few days after Christmas and went on to uh, Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg area and spent four or five days and finally got back uh, Thursday or Friday. And the next morning, our oldest came out of her room and she said, So, Mom, what's our next great adventure? (laughs) There's a word for it. School. A new year is just a brief celebration, and then reality strikes, doesn't it, as we get back to our, to our regular schedules and uh, into this new year. There are uh, places and events that inevitably remind us of time and the passing of time. Uh, going home, maybe it's the place where you grew up or uh, where you raised your kids, uh, even a cemetery and a new year. Uh, Time is something that uh, we all uh, grapple with and the consequences and the playing out of time. Uh, Morris, uh, an 82-year-old, went to his family doctor for a physical. A few days later, uh, he saw his patient walking down the street with a gorgeous blonde on his arm. Well, during a follow-up visit, uh, Doc said to Morris, and he talked about it, and he mentioned the uh, seeing him with, with a young lady, and he said, hey, he said, you're doing uh, really good, aren't you? Well, I'm doing just what you said, Doc. Get a mama and be cheerful. Oh, no, the doc said. I said, you've got a heart murmur. Be careful. One of our cutting-edge Christian thinkers today said, time, not money, is the currency of the 21st century. The new poverty, he says, is time starvation. Never heard that term. Max Lucado, quoted in your listening guide, said, we're the only nation with a mountain named Rushmore. I happened upon this definition of family. The family is a domestic cloverleaf on which we pass one another en route to another meeting. Hmm. Now, make that personal. Uh, Fill in the blank. Uh, En route to another what? In no area is it more urgent that we as Christ followers live Christianly than the area of time and of time management. I wonder if a new year prompted Moses to pray. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now number there doesn't mean count. Let's see, I'm, uh, I'm 18 times 365 equals, no. The Hebrew term has the idea of account for. Uh, The idea of evaluate, uh, take inventory, uh, not of the years. You notice that? Not even of the months. 
but those little 24-hour increments that we call days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What's a great prayer for a new year, isn't it? For a new year is a, a wonderful time to, to reboot and to start anew and to do some, some real honest uh, inventory. There's an Old Testament character that helps us do that. Uh, his long, fruitful life is summarized in a New Testament passage in just 16 words. It's God's perspective on a life well lived. That's where the passage connects with you and me. I pray that it may be said of you and that it may be said of me. The passage I'm referring to is in Acts chapter 13. Would you turn there with me? Acts chapter 13. By the way, I'm using a Bible app in the year of the word called Bible Gateway. A lot of resources on this app. It has a great reading guide. Three chapters a day in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And uh, I refer it to to you if you're looking for uh, a practical um, help and app for the year of uh, the word. In Acts chapter 13, uh, we have David's epitaph written by the Holy Spirit. And let's take just a moment to catch the context. Paul's first missionary journey has brought him, brought him to a city called uh, Antioch in Pisidia. And arriving there with a bad case of preacher's itch and a desire to see people come to Christ, he ventures to the one place he knew he would have a ready-made audience. Not a football stadium. It was a synagogue. And as was customary, uh, the visiting rabbi, Paul, was asked to address the assembly. And did he give them both barrels. The big idea, if you read through the context of the passage, is that the great messianic promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. They weren't expecting that. Look at what he says in verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And in verse 37, he said, But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Paul says, uh, as he quotes Psalm, uh, uh, verse 35 is actually a quotation from Psalm 1610. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. That raised questions in the synagogue. I imagine one white-haired elder saying, but wait a minute, if, it does, if that psalm does not refer to David, then to whom? And Paul says, uh, I have an idea. <laughs> and he preaches Jesus. But in referring to David, who saw corruption, verse 36 Paul does not simply say, well, we know David's dead. 
No, look at the verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. Now think of the many possibilities of David's for David's epitaph. For David, can you think of any? Uh, son of Jesse, uh, shepherd, world-class musician, renowned military leader, giant killer, poet um, laureate, uh, head of state. He could have said all of this. But notice what he does say. I find in this very few concise words, five principles that help us to get a handle on a new year and the demands placed upon us. Principles are principles uh, that challenge us to evaluation and to call us to a, a personal mission and a sense of purpose. Notice the first principle. Wise living this year does not demand perfection. We understand that we communicate not only by what we say, but by by what we do not say. We do it all the time, really. We we don't even think about it. Remember the the lady who came in to her husband who was sitting in the family room reading the newspaper, and she said, Honey, you know that new car we bought last week? Well, of course I do. The airbags work. This Jewish audience knew David's track record like the back of their hands. Although Paul's purpose is not a biographical sketch of David's life, uh, he knew and the audience knew and we know that there are major omissions. On the negative side, the Holy Spirit could have written for David after he committed adultery. Hmm. David, after he committed murder. David, after one act of pride, resulted in 70,000 people losing their lives. You remember that story? None of that. Not a word about David's great sins. (laughs) How do you explain it? One word, forgiveness. Folks, uh, our God is not looking for perfection, but he responds to honesty and humility. There's a second principle. Living wisely means giving priority to service. that's That's a very broad word, but notice, for David, after he served. Now, when you think about it, that's probably not a word that would come to our mind when we think of King David, he was one who was served. But think of all that David accomplished in his illustrious lifetime. But God was impressed. And the Holy Spirit preserved one statement, one value. And that is that David served. We're so aware that everything in our culture is about serving us. Entertainment world, therapeutic world. Do you realize that servanthood is a mindset? 
not just a random act of kindness here or something's in your path that's really unavoidable. It is a mindset. I know that by some things Jesus said. It's a mindset that understands that when you were saved, the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual gifts and a ministry to somebody. In the Old Testament, the people had priests. In the New Testament, we are priests. Peter said, you are a royal priesthood. The word priest means a bridge builder. We as New Testament priests, we stand between God and others on God's behalf, ministering to them in Jesus' name. That's the role we have been given. We're priests. Now, I'm not suggesting you use that tomorrow at work necessarily, but we are priests. It's a mindset. And understand this. Servanthood is the gold standard of evaluation at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul is probably thinking about David's greater son who said, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You don't, you don't, you don't find time to serve. Do you know what I want to be remembered for? Not for the sermons I have preached, but for the example that I have set for service. That's my legacy. That's all I am concerned about. David served. Hmm. The king served. Servant leadership. But notice third. Wise living means a sense of responsibility For God's glory in your time. This is so interesting. For David, after he had served his generation. Hmm. A generation in scripture sometimes means a 40 year span. And some get in trouble with prophecy. You know, this generation that sees the sign. Okay, Israel was into the land and became a nation. 1947 and 40 years. And have you heard some of this? I know a guy that wrecked his ministry in trying to set a date for the coming of Christ in 1983-84. A good preacher, a good, good brother, okay? 40 years. <laughs> well, it's also true that uh, a generation often refers to people living on earth at a particular time. We have been sovereignly placed in a time and a culture and a country in such a time as this. Next Sunday is religious liberty. Sunday. And in these challenging times, we must engage as salt and light and not be intimidated into silence. This statement caught me off guard. One of our best Christian thinkers, if anybody knows the name, Oz Guinness has recently said, our age is quite simply the greatest opportunity. Grasp this. 
Our age is quite simply the greatest opportunity for Christian witness since the time of Jesus and the apostles. Oh, incredible opportunities. How did Paul respond to pagan antagonism? Three times in the book of Acts, Paul's called on the carpet. The the bead is put right between his eyes. And Paul, with all of his brilliance, did not put out a a great five-point apologetic scheme. You may not even be able to spell apologetics or know what it is, but all of us have a testimony. Three times in Acts, when confronted, Paul shared his testimony. And it's interesting that there's always a threefold outline. And what I'm challenging you to do is to think about your non church friends and neighbors and co workers. Peter said we should be ready to give an answer. What's, what does that mean? Uh, a 45 minute sermon from the book of Acts? No. Have you ever written your testimony? Paul suggests a threefold outline. Number one, my life before I was saved, how I came to Christ, and what knowing Jesus means to me. We we all have that, right? We all have that. So often in our time, in this changing time, and you're finding this out, aren't you? The people have to see the gospel before they're ready to hear and believe the gospel. They have to see love. They have to see service. They have to see integrity. It's really, it really, folks, we're living in a show and tell time. John MacArthur tells about a young man at, at Grace Church that uh, he ran a, a successful business. He came to a point where he felt that God was leading him out of business uh, to actually attend the the local seminary there in connection with the church. So he enrolled in the seminary and uh, he later announced he thought that God had a preaching ministry for him and a church heard about it and uh, called him and asked him to come and preach on a certain Sunday. That week, His wife, in her early 30s, passed away of cancer. Church contacted him and said, you you don't need to preach. You don't need to come. And he said this, I will go. She was called there, and I am called here. And after it was over, someone asked him about it, and he said, it was my greatest joy wrapped up in my greatest sorrow. Something different about that young man. And the challenge for us is is to stand out and to stick out. Not because we're weird, right? You know, uh, what's the verse in Colossians or in uh, Titus in our King James Bible that uh, we are God's peculiar people? Now, you and I know people who take that literally, right? You know, (laughs) they're just plain peculiar. (laughs) Well, I'm peculiar. No, no, no. We stand out because of our integrity and our honesty and our love for Jesus. And then when people ask, why are you different? Tell them. 
That's precisely the approach our missionaries are taking around the world this morning. We had a young lady, Wendy Hines, to speak to our students at GBCS back in early December. Been serving in France for 18 years as a single lady. And when she spoke to the kids, I think we were all riveted. Less than 1% of the French people claim faith in Christ as Savior. And she described their, their methods in France. It's exactly the example we see here in David. We have been placed in this generation, this is our time, a very brief window. Notice a fourth principle. Wise living means faithfulness in essentials. Purpose, not the urgent. Busyness. For David, after he had served his generation by the will of God. Don't you love that? By the will of God. Somebody said, you agree with this? Is this sound? If Satan can't get you to do wrong, to have a moral failure, to get full of pride or materialism, he'll just wear you out with too many good things. You know, some of you, <laughs> some of you have worked 60 hours this week and you're saying, you know, good things. Jesus was the master of concentration. He did not heal everybody. He did not meet everybody's needs. But when he came to the end, he said, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Oh, what an epithet. Folks, that's success. I have finished the work. You could say, cross the board, whatever. I have finished the work that you have given me, me, to do. You and I, biblically, you and I have just enough time to do the will of God. There are questions that I, uh, I review at the beginning of a year because they help me to Reboot, to rethink, to reestablish my priorities. Three questions. What is required of me by God, my family, my job? I think I, I, think I have a, a slide on this. I hope I do. Second, first one, what is required of me? The second is, what gives me the greatest eternal return? And number three, what gives me the greatest joy? Technology is sometimes slow. What's required of me? Look at them. What gives me the greatest eternal return? And what gives me the greatest joy? I ran upon this recently. The greatest tragedy of today's convenient world is that you can live a trivial life and get away with it. He served his generation by the will of God. Then notice that wise living means keeping one's eye on, on eternity. This is striking. For David, after he served his generation by the will of God, fell asleep. Now that's a euphemism for what? 
A euphemism for death. This is not soul sleep. It's a euphemism. What's a euphemism? You say something gentler. It makes it kinder. Uh, We say, he passed away. Uh, She went away. Or he kicked the bucket. Have you ever thought about that one? Uh, Do you use that one? You ever thought about that phrase? It doesn't sound too comforting to me, does it you? That that phrase actually comes out of 16th century um, England, and it reminds me of my experience growing up a few years ago in Wyoming County. A bucket was a horizontal beam or a yoke on which a hog was hung and carried by its back legs. So not yet deceased, the dying, thrashing, convulsing animal kicked against the bucket. And it became a euphemism for death. Are you ready for lunch yet? He kicked the bucket. The scripture never says that a believer dies. I love this Old Testament phrase. He was gathered to his people. Jesus said a little girl, uh, she isn't dead, she's asleep. Our friend Lazarus is asleep. Paul writes, he who, uh, he who sleeps in Jesus, those who sleep uh, in Jesus will God bring with him. That's not only a euphemism, it is also a promise. Um, a believer, you lie your head down on the pillow at night. Every person who goes to sleep, and it seems like an instant uh, between uh, night and morning, that is, if you sleep well. It's like that. So it is that those who know Christ, we close our eyes in this world to open them in the next. It's a beautiful metaphor, metaphor, a beautiful euphemism. John G. Patton, uh, who served as a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. It's now called Van Van Utu. One of the great, great missionaries of the the 20th and 19th centuries. Uh, Been biographies written. One of your kids have studied John G. Patton. Patton said in his later years, I lived amongst some who sought to deter me returning. One was a dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, the cannibals, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And it was a very real prospect. At last I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in age now and your prospect is to soon be in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. (laughs) If I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus... It will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. Mm. So, uh, Read 1 John 2.17 with me. The world is passing away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I love the message. The world and all of its wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. I have some new, some new year's questions for us. Looking into 2016, 
What is your greatest challenge? What is your most urgent prayer? What is your greatest praise? And what is your greatest opportunity for witness and for service? 2016 will be a year of change for our church. And let's recommit ourselves to prayer, to engagement, as we now venture upon the year of the word. I have some specific uh, passages of scripture involved and in mind as we look forward to this year of transition. I'll be honest with you, for Mary and I, it is frightening. A young woman in Seattle pulled up to a drive through fast food food window and was waited on by a long-haired, long-bearded guy. And as he handed her order through the car window, uh, he looked str- straight at, into her eye and he said, Ah, the smell of eternity in the air. She was taken back. Was the guy a prophet? Did he know something she didn't know? And she paused just long enough to hear him say, Eternity. Aren't you wearing eternity perfume? (laughs) Eternity in the air. David lived in that atmosphere amid all the ups and downs of life. And I pray for all of us that this coming year that the focus of our lives, the focus of our ministry, the focus, every bit of our focus, our passion, our confidence will be upon the will of God for this year.